to the voice response registration system. True school university. Representing universally. You have added hip hop ethics. One, two, zero. For those that don't know, school's in. Who got the nerve to write a jam that you can squirt to? Overtrack so fat, the nickname Big Burfa. It's probably the kid that had the cruise and never heard of. Whose mind travels further? Hello, and welcome back, not to the Cosmic Treadmill. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And uh, we have to come to you, hats and hands, folks, that we do not have episode 53 of the Cosmic Treadmill prepared for this Sunday, which is the 20th, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I got very sick earlier this week. First, I went on vacation. Chris and I, we gunned out uh, <laughs> some extra content before I went on vacation. When I got back, I was really sick for two days, pretty much slept for two days, and that put me behind. Uh, and we could not finish our script for episode 53. So instead, we're going to put up something. This is sort of a strange, you know, people that only listen to Cosmic Treadmill may not even know that we do this other thing. You know that, Chris? Uh, <laughs> this is true. Every week, Chris and I talk about whatever uh, Young Animal books, that's the DC Comics imprint run by Gerard Way. Uh, we go through all of them, right? Every single one. And uh, we review them on the site. So we really never bring this up, but this is something we do every single week. <laughs> uh, and when they don't have a comic, one thing we did for a, a little while was we'd pick a year in the the world, in the 20th century and into the 21st <laughs> century that was relevant to us and specific to comics, and we'd sort of talk about that. So sort of an addendum as sort of a stopgap. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it. This is a time that we did. The year 1985, which is relevant. Why? Hey, that's the year that Crisis came out. Exactly. But we also talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. I talk sure. about uh, one of my favorite comics from back then, which was The One by Rick Veach. Mm-hmm. You talk about a Spider-Man run that you loved. Yeah, The Death of Gene DeWolf. That's uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, and we go, we go through a few things. We hope you enjoy it. It's about an hour long. Um, we just want to put something out there. And again, my apologies. It really is my fault. Chris. Uh, as I, as far as I know, you're healthy as an ox. You're okay. Well, I'm so, healthy, but I did have a lot of grad school running that was uh, ultimately futile. But yeah, uh, you, <laughs> we were both. You had a heck of a week too, in, in other in other ways. But uh, yeah, it kind of precluded uh, concentrating on this script. And you know, we we do want to do the best, most complete job. So we will be back with that next Sunday, and then we will wrap it all up with episode fifty-four, which will, I guess, be the first Sunday in September, the way September. it's looking. But because this is uh, stuck inside of the Weird Science DC Comics dot com podcast, we want to just run down our usual contact info where you can get to us. Uh, you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com. Find us on Facebook at facebook dot com slash cosmic tmail history. On Twitter at cosmic tmail. Of course, I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. And I'm at Ace Comics. And we do write er- reviews every week for WeirdScienceDCComics.com. <laughs> Even if we don't mention it, we probably should. And uh, I tell you every episode, and this is something we don't mention on the Weird Science podcast, but yes. <laughs> Chris has a personal blog. Chris is on InfiniteEarth.com where he reviews a different DC comic every day of the week. This week you did some real good ones. I didn't get to comment on uh, them, but I read your Electric Superman one. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> You had another one that I was really uh, digging. So I'm telling you, they're all over the place. You know, you might see something from the late 60s. You might see something from 2010 or even more recently. (laughs) Yeah, you you, do very recent comics. Uh, It seems like your only stricture is a DC comic, right? That's it. That's it. But he's not taking requests, folks. He's, he's got a backlog. Don't worry. <laughs> so anyway, uh, again, sorry, folks, that we don't have episode 53. We will have it for you next week. And uh, if you want to write to us and complain, then feel free to not get any responses from us. <laughs> See ya. Once in every lifetime, comes a love like this. Oh, I need you.
everybody. Welcome back. It's Chris and Reggie. We're doing hey. our Young Animal segment for the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast that we do every week, whether there's a Young Animal book <laughs> or not. And this week there was not a Young Animal book. So uh, we're going to go back to what we did just a couple of weeks ago when we did, uh, we called it Real Comics History. We did a year in comics, and that was 1992. Uh, we talked about Death of Superman, a little bit about Image Comics, and Chris shared some stories of his early comics collecting like formative days. Formative years, yes. That's right. It was, sort of, <laughs> it was really sort of a get-to-know Chris. Well, this time, uh, we're going to do one that's closer to my personal experience in comics, uh, and one that shaped, you know, the fact that I'm much more of a DC Comics fan today than more or less any comic uh, company. Um, and that year is 1985, but uh, it wasn't all about comics, was it, Chris? No, uh, several several things happened in the real world, as it <laughs> as it's wont to do. Huh? <laughs> We've got uh, Ronald Reagan sworn in for his second term as, as the president of the United States. We got Live Aid concerts to aid Ethiopia happening in Pitts, uh, in Philadelphia and London. Is is that the one that Phil Collins appeared at both at both? I believe shows so. I'm almost via the Concord. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He yeah, that's right. He flew. Uh, super speed. Uh, he, I think he was at one of them for sure because I can remember like footage of it. Hmm. So uh, these were huge at the time, and this whole Ethiopian oh, yeah. situation was had really hit its. There was there really was a spotlight on Africa because there was also a lot of talk of apartheid and Nelson yeah. Mandela Nelson being Mandela. in jail. There was yeah. a lot of people were starting to say that things aren't going great over there, but now they're fine. Insane kosher. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, they all lived happily ever. Everything worked out. <laughs> uh, in April of 85, Coca-Cola releases New Coke, a revised Coca-Cola formula so unpopular that they switch back to classic in under three months. Yeah, do you, do you remember this at all? I, I, I do. I, yeah. I don't remember how it tasted, but I do remember I remember commercials for I it. I remember it being a lot sweeter. Uh, it was. It was like the Pepsi became Coke or something. They, you know, they hmm. Coke did its own Pepsi thing. It was a funny move, and they said that it was on purpose. But anyway, uh, <laughs> in September, the wreck of the RMS Titanic is discovered using side-scan sonar. I didn't realize it was that late in the oh, 20th century, but there it is. And in October, the Nintendo Entertainment System is released in the U.S. Yeah, only at like a few stores. <laughs> well, like in New York, right? Nintendo still does that. Yeah, I think New York was the <laughs> first trademark. Yeah, but yeah, Nintendo always is like under shipping everything. So I guess that's their mo. Absolutely, uh, big movies of the year. Uh, I, 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 these are obscure though. Yeah, these are they kind are. of obscure. Yeah. Big movies. We got uh, one Back to the Future. Mm, you can hardly uh, ever see that these days. Oh no, uh, the Breakfast Club. And one I never heard of called Weird Science. Mm, yeah, we should check those out sometime. Maybe see you get a dip in. Uh, big songs that year were Susu Studio by Phil Collins, Save It All My Love For You by Whitney Houston. This was her debut uh, solo album. Out, yeah. Yep. And uh, We Are the World by every damned popular musician at the time through the charity USA for Africa, or they called themselves USA for Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, gasoline, one dollar and nine cents per gallon. Uh, a movie ticket was two dollars and seventy-five cents. Wow! And a, <laughs> can you imagine that? I would go to see movies <laughs> if it was something the, closer the to that. Was still eighteen dollars. That was that was the key. Yeah, yeah. that was the catch. Uh, and the first-class postage stamp was twenty-two cents USD. Nice. And and just this little synergy that I liked is that in nineteen eighty-five, the average tuition for one year of college was. $1,985, so Ouch. they must have had some sort of a deal going on tied into oh, the year. In the year. Yeah. I don't even think I could get a class for that. Oh, now. God, I don't, yeah, forget <laughs> it. God, you know, they, they would, they would. that's just enough money for them to tell you to get off the campus. That's about the size of it. <laughs> they flatten your ties and mm -hmm. boot you out of there. Hi. Um, well, anywho, into comics. Uh, we have, pro you think this might be the biggest story of the year? I think this probably was the big one, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, debuted in April uh, by our old friends Marv Wolfman and George Perez. This was the streamlining of the DC Universe, uh, making the uh, complex less so, but then kind of making it more so in a way. Yeah, <laughs> this, was, this was the first time, I mean, even now, uh, I mean... You know, people, Jim, Jim's been reading since the beginning of the New 52, and now he is getting his first taste of a new universe 
yeah. uh, and him feeling like he's lost some things from uh, the one that he was familiar with. And I said, buddy, when you're, <laughs> when you're a comics fan, you get used to this feeling after a while. But this was we... really the first time it happened. This was this was it right here. Absolutely. Yeah, we we always get a lot of flack for uh, demanding shit change, but refusing change. Absolutely. And I'm trying to think of a time in in our lives where things weren't always changing. I, I mean, we're always getting changes. It's true. I mean, right. Well, right here, I was I was very young, and uh, you know, so this is pretty much you know more or less the beginning of my reading comics. Uh, you know, by maybe a couple of years earlier, but this is. <laughs> Pretty much the beginning, and you know, this has been my entire life. There's been a crisis. There's been an event almost every year, and just about more recently, every year, and over at Marvel, <laughs> or every couple of months. Yeah, now it's like twice a year over at Marvel. It's like wow, things are really chugging along pretty fast. Uh, <laughs> and and it's uh, you know, I this is uh, I'm used to this. I think that if the universe didn't change in three years, I'd I'd think that the company was going to fo- you know fold over. Yeah. There. Because it's uh, it just seems like business, it's business as usual now. Um, Absolutely. But they carried all this lore for so long, this Silver Age stuff that I guess they felt was incongruous with, you know, Morris at the time. And we're kind of going to get into that with when I talk about another comic uh, next that was uh, seminal to me. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's uh. You know, over time, it's it's made things more complicated, but it's made things, I think, more interesting. It definitely has opened yeah. up opportunities for story. So, yeah, because that was one of the things that kept me away from DC was all the, you know, I I, I didn't want to open a book and see like two or three different Supermans. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like why am I supposed to be invested when it's the same reason I couldn't get really get into Transformers. If one of them dies, there's another one right there. You yeah, know, it's it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, and, uh, it'll, and it's also this, you know, decades of story sure. that you might feel compelled to read. And, you know, they did do weird callbacks to it, even up into the early 80s. I'm thinking specifically of Superman, but even Batman, mm-hmm. uh, all these guys. So Wonder Woman's the only one that gets the luxury of being rebooted every time a new creator takes her on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, Is oh, she but, clay now? No, she's wood. Well, oh, okay. forget all that. Forget everything you heard before. Here's the straight dope on Wonder Woman. But yes. all the, other, the other guys, they carry their baggage along. So, uh, yeah, and this was a, this is a very dense series, Crisis on yes. Earths. Um, you know, it's funny, I, you know, this is not for a new comic reader or definitely anyone new to DC. You know what I mean? You, I'd say to get the most out of it would be good to be like a real DC geek. You know what I mean? Or yeah. a real, real silver bronze age kind of aficionado to some extent, at least. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of references that we wouldn't get outright or whatever. No. Uh, but it's loaded with, the, with, with stuff like that. Um, but it's, it was it's, one of the first DC things I read. So I can attest. Is that right? Yeah, I uh, when I when I found myself with a few extra shekels in my pocket, uh-huh. I uh, I realized that I was ignoring half the table at the comic store and came over to DC and uh, it's like, hey, I've heard so much about this crisis. I I first heard about the crisis because I mean when it came out, I was five years old, right. so I really wasn't following it. Yeah, not not um, at that time, huh? You were like, no. what, what's an empty monitor? You know? Yes. Who's Simon? Why yeah. is his brain outside his head? But uh, I uh, I remember first being introduced to the concept of it uh, during my early days on Usenet because there was a folder dedicated to crisis discussion. And I'm like, what the hell is crisis? And uh, when I finally decided to, you know, jump in on DC, it's like, well, I got to read crisis. And that's like four hour, four years before zero hour, which is technically, you know, the second crisis. Yeah, the the crisis in time. Yeah, yeah. that was, but like it was the same kind of attempt though to like you know collapse. It was the to universe. fix crisis. Yeah, yeah. That was the idea. <laughs> but uh, I was so lost. I, it was it's a it's a great story, but I I didn't have the emotional connection to the characters yeah. and uh, and like you said, it is dense. Have you have you gone back now in more recently and uh, looked at it with yeah yeah DC, I've gotten DC eyes yeah, certainly yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like suddenly you know seeing cyborg on the front lines it's like oh that's cool yeah. you know it's you get it, or I get it now, where before it was just like, huh, and uh, didn't much get it. <laughs> Definitely, you know, Marv Wolfman and George Perez being on this too was tremendous. I mean, this these oh, yeah. are the golden boys of DC. Mm-hmm. D- New Teen Titans was far and away their the bestseller. It's not even. I mean, it's not even close. You look at those Comicron no. numbers. 
boy, New Teen Titans is up at least in the top ten, and then everything. You think else. it was a Marvel book? Yeah. It, it, seriously, you know, and and with good reason. It's sort of, yes. you know, it's well. What's funny is, uh, you know, New Teen Titans sort of fits a similar slot to the X Men, but mm-hmm. it's not the same thing by by a by a oh, long no. stretch. I think, you know, no. I, th- you know, like first of all, the X Men, you know, you don't get the feeling that they're as teeny. You know they're no. they're young, but they're not like t- necessarily t- teenagers. Wolverine wasn't a teenager, for God's sake. No, they uh, really weren't any teenagers on the team at this at point, that time, uh, right? except yeah. for maybe Kitty Pride. That's true. I, I, what a lot of people like forget is that the uh, the original team they graduated in like issue ten. Yeah. Like back in the mid '60s, they graduated from school, the the Xavier Institute. Or so they were already out 10. of like high school. That was it. Yeah. They're going into their their uh, college years, as we call mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yes, their young adulthood. But but like I said, you know, Teen Titans, and part of it is you know the writing is way different. Uh, oh yeah. Anyway, though, but you know, at this point, you know, Marv also had uh, uh, that Vigilante series, right? He was doing mm-hmm. at that time. He was did. He, he wasn't writing Superman now, was he? Or maybe he was. He was writing a bit of Superman. He wrote the last few issues of, I want to say, I want to say action, before uh, before the the you know the restart, or not the restart really, but just the, the the ushering in of the new continuity. Yeah. So I know he wrote some very very forgettable issues where, like a, uh, it's probably the same year as this. He one where Superman fought a werewolf. That beat him up, took his costume, and left Superman lying naked in the, in the middle of the street. Oh, that's awesome! That was that part of your Halloween uh, series. Yes, it was. Yeah, that it sounds was. like sounds like right up right up for that month. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I imagine you know, I can only imagine the uh, plotting and the talks and the work you have to do on a, on a story like Crisis. Like I say, could you imagine? A lot yeah. of stuff is interwoven. It's it's really detailed and re- and it really is a huge love, love letter to DC. I think anyone that is a, you know, big DC Comics fan should check it out. But I don't know. I, I, it's hard. It's tough for me to recommend because it's kind of been made redundant. Uh, yeah, we don't even know if it happened anymore. <laughs> I think it did. They seem to reference it because they had because you know Wally West came back. But uh, yeah. there's also intimations that that might actually be the new Fifty Two Wally West that didn't that never made it never made it over to from he... Flashpoint. Because he doesn't mention his children and yeah, it's uh, <laughs> whoa, you know, it's as as Jim Warner says, continuity is a pretzel, and sometimes it it'll choke you. Uh, but anyway, might... that that I'd say was the hugest thing of the year, without a doubt. And we'll we'll probably delve into that a lot deeper on Weird Comics History at some point because oh, it yeah, certainly we've... warrants a uh, forensic investigation. Yeah, no, we've talked about it. And if we do that, yeah. we will go through every issue. You know, we'll obviously do creators and we'll do every issue sure. like we did for uh, Secret Wars. Yep. Uh, uh, another one that's close to uh, your heart mm-hmm. is uh, Swamp Thing Volume 2, number 38 from July. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I'm not sure why I had you talking about this, but this really was uh, <laughs> big for me. So at this time in my life, uh, anyway, the, I'm sorry, the story is called uh, Still Waters, written by Alan Moore, pencils by Stan Walk, inks by John Totalbean, Bain, Ben, Totalben. Totalben? Totalben. <laughs> One of them. Art, colors by Tatiana Wood. Uh, you know, th- at this time, my brother was getting comics mainly, and I would read them passively. I was just a compulsive reader as a kid. Uh, if it passed under my nose, National Geographic, Time Magazine, comics, newspaper, books, you know, I was constantly reading something. But for most of my first couple of years reading these uh, four-color comics, I sort of read them passively. I didn't remember what was happening afterward, necessarily. I'd sort of, you know, read Spider-Man, read Batman. I thought it's not like I didn't think it was cool, but I had no real retention for it. It didn't really strike Mm. me. Uh, As I've talked about before, I I grew up, my dad got reprints of, you know, old Carl, Carl Barks, Uncle Scrooge comics and old comic strips, and that's sort of where my head was at, is sort of in an older time, and, you know, I think a lot of my uh, comics uh, reflections today reflect on that more. You know, I'm often willing to hang out in the 50s and 60s, and I wasn't even alive at the time. But anyway, uh, that all changed with this issue, number 38 of Saga of the Swamp Thing, uh, titled Still Waters. And in this one, uh, essentially, so what's happening at this time is this is when Constantine first is created he first shows up ever in dc comics and 
he sort of plays a tour guide for Swamp Thing to go around the country using a newfound power of sucking himself into the earth or whatever his essence going into the green and then regrowing himself elsewhere, anywhere else on the, on the planet. And by doing that, he's sort of following all these uh, paranormal, metaphysical things around the country. And this one is a town that I'm almost positive was in Massachusetts. I could be misremembering that. But uh, it had been drowned. But the people that lived in that town were vampires. So they lived and turned into kind of like lake creatures. Uh, and I think I, it wasn't a camp around it. I, really, I probably should have read it before the before the episode, but I still remember it pretty well. Anyway, there was something about the art and the creepiness of it. It was like, you know, as much as I like horror comics, I can tell you probably there were four horror comics that unsettled me really in my life. You know, like they don't usually do no. the job. You know what I mean? You've read them before. You know the deal. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's tough to do that because you can sort of look ahead to the jump scare. It doesn't really get you. Uh, it's only, it's, you know, it's not a movie. It's a, uh, it's a picture. Anyway, this is a much more, you, 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 you're responsible for a lot more of your own reaction with this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, since you are, you can kind of manage it too. You can keep yourself Mm -hmm. from going too far. But in this case, I remember feeling, feeling unsettled and really getting drawn into it. And, uh, this was it. This is what really drew me into superhero comics as a character that is really not a superhero in a typical sense, but he is. He's got superpowers, sure. and he does heroic things. So, I mean, you know, what else do you want out of life? And he hangs out with the Justice League and stuff like that. Uh, I, thinking back on it, um, I think the first issue I really read was issue 25. That was June 1984. That was called The Sleep of Reason. Uh, that was one where a weird white little monkey called the Monkey King was attacking an orphanage full of kids, uh, making them... It was a whole... It was a very co- complicated story. And I remember... Now it's coming back to me, okay. You see? And, and, yep. and, and, and like, if people misspell things, the monkey freaks out, but yep. the monkey's actually a projection of this one kid as, like, psychic powers. That's actually, I think, the first issue, or the one before this, has to be when John Constantine is first introduced, because this was the first case. I'm almost... Positive? No, maybe it wasn't. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm getting off track. Um, it, whatever it was, it didn't really stick with me. Issue 38 was where now I started to look for it every month. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, at the time, I had no idea that I was reading an Alan Moore comic, or even if that meant anything. And it didn't really mean as much as it means, obviously, today, or even as it would come to mean uh, very soon after this. But uh, he had just come on to the title before this uh, a screenwriter named Marty Wood had been on the title, uh, but when he left, the editor Len Wein gave it to Alan Moore, With starting with issue 20 in January 84 was the cover date. Issue 21 was The Anatomy Lesson, which we did talk about. Yep. Was that, on, right. was that on a cosmic treadmill? What are we no, it was on? not. Just, that was on a different show. Just for a whole different show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That's right. I'm now remembering what it was. And uh, yeah, that's right. That was an old, an oldie. That goes way back. It doesn't matter. Um, we'll probably get to it again. It's it's a very uh, very important issue. It is. It's well. I mean, that issue is 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 a shocker. And what's funny is you know not having any real history with it before. But you know, I mean, now when you get the trades, actually there is a trade of the uh, original Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson run, so you can get a little background. But for a long time, when you're getting the trades, that you just got Alan Moore's run, so you have no yeah. real context for that. He's he's made oh. such a sea change in the. Uh, character and i i hope i'm not being too elusive um but it's a lot it's a lot to talk about like he he changed swamp thing from what was sort of a creepy the very essence yeah uh yeah he was sort of like a creepy anti-hero-ish kind of guy maybe not an anti-hero is not the right word but he was he was just basically like a hard to destroy strong thing made Presence. of plants yeah. and the constantly attracting ghosts and and Alan Moore made him into a veritable god. And then what really so the part that really drew me into the DCU though, I'm reading this and then uh, Swamp Thing number fifty three that came out in October eighty six that was called the Garden of Earthly Delights. Swamp Thing goes to Gotham City and deals with Batman. And even though I was familiar with Batman obviously and I had read Batman comics, now I felt like I had to start reading Batman. Constantly, mm-hmm. and there's there's a one later that Alan Moore actually wrote where Swamp Thing uh, deals with Superman in an annual. It might be a Swamp Thing annual. Uh, that was a uh, DC Comics presents. That was okay, and uh, yeah, 
it's it, that's a great story too um, it is it, anyway it, it built like that you know what i mean sometimes it sometimes these things would start to cross over and then as i read batman now that he's dealing with whatever else and uh mm-hmm. it started to and i you know at that time start weaving that web then as now i still i didn't read every dc comic then and i don't read every dc comic now but i definitely am way more comfortable situated in the dc universe as we find out when we have these uh podcast discussions <laughs> you know the marvel stuff comes and i'm like oh really i don't know what the hell happened at all you know <laughs> for the most part uh unless it was from the stanley era so that was that's that's part of my secret origin so i just wanted to share that with the world yeah well before we go into the next one at this point i think the only comics i had were were star wars and uh maybe some uh kid comics i think i got some of the marvel star stuff like uh i know i had ewoks i know i had fraggle rock um i know i had droids (laughs) which was the uh c3po and r2d2 uh comic book they had a heathcliff comic too i remember they they had an elf comic too now that i'm thinking that actually that actually took part in atlantis attacks or one of the the evolutionary war or something like that amazing yeah it's very very strange time but uh we're gonna hop into marvel for a little bit here now We've got them publishing a comic, a special comic book called Heroes for Hope, starring the X-Men. We talked earlier about Africa. Well, this is an Ethiopian famine relief uh, issue through the American Friends Service Committee charity. Uh, it was edited by uh, good friends Anne Nocenti and uh, Chris Claremont. They were, I think she was his editor on X-Men at this point. Yeah, um, and she would go on to write Daredevil not long after this. And, uh, they, yeah, they were, we don't talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, but, <laughs> but I'll tell you, well, have you read Anne Nocenti lately? Let me tell you, she was uh, great compared I, to... <laughs> I wouldn't go much further than Daredevil. This, 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 these are the golden years. No, you're right, though. Her Daredevil <laughs> run is uh, not, not that great. It's a little preachy. Yeah. Just a little. Well, this here was a jam issue featuring many creators, including Stan Lee, John Romita Jr., Klaus Janssen, John Byrne, Stephen King, Bernie Wrightson, Alan Moore, Bill Sienkiewicz, Brian Boland, Jim Shooter, Denny O'Neill, Howard Chaikin, Archie Goodwin, and many, many more. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they often do, like, a page. You know, yeah, I mean, a... Stephen King wrote three words. Yeah, but hey, <laughs> he got in there. Yeah, he wrote, I am hunger. <laughs> and I remember reading that again on Usenet because it's like everyone was like, oh, the, 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 the time Stephen King wrote for Marvel. And I find out that what he wrote was, I am hunger. And, and my brain goes crazy going like, ooh, what could that mean? Wow. You know, you know, I'm thinking that there's some kind of character, like some weird, creepy character called hunger out there somewhere. And then I find out it's for a starvation, yeah. you know, a famine relief book. It's like, oh, I, I get it now. But who else could have written that? Really? No. I mean, come on. Uh, only the, I, only I the have, brilliant yeah. mind of the master of horror, Stephen King. Yes. <laughs> you know, reminds me of I am Groot, though. I'll tell you that. They should have used that. This is true. This is true. You can eat a tree, right? Sure. Um, now, this is just to show how you know deep this was into the gestalt here. The next year, DC did the same thing with uh, Heroes Against Hunger, which uh, I remember the cover. I've got it somewhere upstairs. It's got uh, Lex Luthor standing in front of uh, Batman and Superman saying, like, even you guys can't you know fix this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the stark truce right on the cover. DC, I know was, it. DC was always much more welcoming to the, uh, um, b- you know, word balloon on the cover. You got, I say yeah. overall, but I think they, they both they did it over the them, years, yeah. but DC held on to it for longer, and they're doing it nowadays too. So mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing to see. Absolutely, um, it's also beautiful to see them come together. What a crazy, what a crazy project it must have been, though. You know, really to all these guys. Oh yeah, just doing a little bit. It it sounds like an editorial nightmare, but if I know Anne Nocenti and Chris Claremont, they handled it in the usual lackadaisical hippie way that they always did, and so probably <laughs> half-assed the whole thing. So probably whatever gets it on the shelves, folks. Uh, there's one. So here's another little segment of my secret origin. Um, this was a comic called The One by Rick Veitch came out uh, had a July cover date. It was a six-issue miniseries though from Epic Comics that was. A Marvel Comics imprint for creator-owned work at this point, for sure. Yeah, uh, and uh, which I didn't know at the time. I thought it was just a weirdo independent comic because there were a lot of them bumbling, bubbling up. Uh, this one was full co- color, and this one had a profound impact on me. All the covers were parodies of 
popular packaging or something yeah. in pop culture. Like uh, Warhol type stuff. <laughs> very much like that, yeah. I mean, and, and this is something that has always spoken to me. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if that makes me lowbrow or highbrow or whatever, you know, good or bad, but I, I've always loved satire and parody since I was a little kid. They did like a Marlboro box one and one that looks like a Tide detergent box. A um, can of Coke. A yep. can of Coke was, was, was familiar. And all the names of the products have changed to the one. And I got, I mean, I, unfortunately, I, can, I do have a trade collection that's uncolored, and this is something I'd love to see collected in color. Uh, but the only thing I, I, I just remember it being this kind of stark, very wacky uh, Cold War story about, you know, there was a being that was uniting everyone. He was calling himself the one, and people were sort of looking to him uh, almost cultishly. Um, and this was all tied in with imminent nuclear. Uh, Armageddon, I don't really remember all the details, but a young 10-year-old Reggie was really plugged <laughs> into this thing and reading the hell out of it. Uh, this is what my father would actually get. And I, I, my father was obviously horrible at keeping things away from me because he never did once. I, you know, I'm reading Zap, <laughs> reading Zap comics when I'm 8 years old. I'm reading this when I'm 10 or whatever. It's like you got to find a better place than your nightstand, Dad. I've cracked the code. It's not exactly yes. a uh, Fort Knox over there. Uh, there was also something in the back of the one that almost beat the actual comic that I loved a lot, and I really want people to look this up online. It was called Puzz Fundles. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah it's, it was just this one-page comic about a bunch of roommates that were horrible to each other. and it was, You know what? It was actually not on the like bottom. Or the young ones. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I, I, it, it was drawn very crudely, but it worked for what it was. Um, and you, I think you can see them all online. I, I think I've, um, Rick Veitch either put them online or someone else did. And you know, there's only six of them or whatever. There's so they are included in the trade, though. They are in the it, trade. Yeah, because yeah, it says the one and Puzz Fundles. It's, yeah, they're, it's they're all in the back. I think I think actually they run them instead of in each issue. They run them all consecutively at the back because there is actually probably there is actually a weird narrative through those Puzz Fundles too. Mm. Although it's, believe me, it's not that important when it's just basically people getting, you know, their head chopped off and kicked yeah. out the window or whatever. It just, <laughs> uh, so this, this was another very influential thing. And I think seeing that kind of crude art also just gave me a different idea of the kind of art you could, you could and should expect from comics. It doesn't always have to be big muscles. You know what I mean? Yeah. It can also be weirdo. Uh, crude drawings a la Matt Groening or whatever else at the time. Sure. Now, another uh, another big thing that came out was Superman Annual number 11, uh, cover dated November of 85. This is for the man who has everything. Yeah. Written by the almost Watchmen team of Alan Moore and uh, with art by Dave Gibbons. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this is back, uh, you know, even now, uh, to an extent, in annuals, you usually expect more than one story. Usually, like, uh, yeah, because I mean, even some some recent Marvel ones, it's like, it's like just a bunch of like six page stories. Mm-hmm. It's a, which they, is why they usually use that for an anthology or a bunch of inventory yeah. stories, just to just cleaning out a desk drawer yeah, or something. Crank it out. But this uh, this oversized annual was devoted entirely to this one story. And, uh, you know, it, this is, uh, it, it, that doesn't, it's not like this is the only time this has happened, but I mean, it, it is notable for, uh, for being this way. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in it, Alan Moore, he, he really uh, mined a lot of Silver Age concepts for this one, I mean, this, as he would is, do a year later. This is like the, yeah, he, exactly. But, but this is like the uh, last hurrah for yeah. before the crisis ends. And then he did, you, you were alluding to the, uh, mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Man of Tomorrow, which is definitely the last pre-crisis Superman story, depending yep. on you know how you want to look on your mileage. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this is. I just wanted to say what the story is very quickly for those who haven't read it, and you definitely it is. And you said it was in the greatest Superman stories ever told, Volume One. Um, and I'm I'm almost positive it's still in the uh, greatest DC stories of Alan Moore. So if you want to get it in trade. I'd be surprised if it wasn't available on Comixology. I'm sure it's digital. Yeah, available. it's got to be on there. Uh, and also, did they did do a Justice League cartoon based on this? Uh, yes. This very issue, but essentially, and an, ish, an episode of Supergirl recently, right? Sorta. Of, it alludes to it because because it happens to Supergirl. Similar, uh, summer, similar like uh, iconography. <laughs> definitely, and 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 really the same kind of thing because because what happens is it's Superman's birthday. He gets a present from somebody he doesn't know. 
Uh, it's the Black Mercy flower, and what that does, it attaches itself to you and lets you live out your greatest dream uh, as a life until, I guess, presumably you die of starvation or that's it. You know, if you're immortal, then you're just, uh, <laughs> now you belong to the Black Mercy. It's sort of parasitic. And uh, Batman, Wonder Woman, and who at the time was the new Robin, Jason Todd, um, mm-hmm. they go to the Fortress of Solitude to give Batman, uh, Superman, sorry, some uh, birthday presents, and they find him already in under the influence of this Black Mercy. And his perfect life is that Krypton is still around. And mm-hmm. he's, he's imagining what life would be on Krypton while uh, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Robin are trying to help him. Turns out Mongol is there. There's a fight. I won't give away the fantastic ending. And there are some twists and turns in it. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is, you know, Alan Moore makes this idyllic Kryptonian life. And it's not that idyllic. It's got a lot. Yeah. The, you know, the, the House of El, uh, they're enemies of the, a lot of people. You know, people hate Jor-El because he supports the Phantom Zone, mm-hmm. and that's considered cruel and unusual punishment. And I think we've talked about this, too. Because it is. <laughs> it's absolutely way where You know, it's funny, like... It's the cruelest. <laughs> I definitely believe, you know, in comics and anywhere, it's that heroes do not kill. And the way mm-hmm. that should be taken is to the ludicrous, fantastical extent of something like the Phantom Zone, where you're inarguably <laughs> doing something way worse to someone, you know? Like, please kill me, says yes. General Zod. Like, it's been... 10,000 years trapped in this other dimension, you know? I've seen, I've seen Kryptonian society, dynasties come and go. Yep. Uh, and here I am still trapped here. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's much more even than we're saying here at face value. Um, mm. But, you know, as far as mining the Silver Age, I did call out a couple of things that Alan Moore did uh, use in the story in there. Uh, Kal-El is married to Lila Lerol, a Kryptonian yes. actress. Uh, yeah, Lina, Lila Lerol, I think, was supposed to be what it was. And, yeah. Um, Superman number one, she first appeared in Superman number 141, November 1960. Yeah, I met her first in an issue of uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. Because uh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago on the treadmill, uh, how Superman had sort of a marriage fetish for anyone who wasn't Lois. Yep, all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. so she always wanted to settle house. down, except yep. for with her. And I remember Lila showed up uh, in in the issue that I read uh, because she was like the perfect match for him because she was just as uh, – she was just as – uh, impervious to uh, damage, impervious to, to being killed. So she was a more perfect <laughs> match. Of course. Than, uh, well, you know, Lane. when it gets down to business, you know what I mean. You're gonna want to. Uh, you want something that can uh, take you a lick. Can't have it. any women a tissue. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I actually, to be honest, in the original story, I, I have seen it. It's in one of these Superman trade collections out there. On I'm Planet sure it's Earth. in a showcase, something too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so it might be in that or something like that, but. Uh, he marries her in that too, but it's but it's I'm almost positive it was a it wasn't technically an imaginary tale, but I think he like went to Doctor whatever the hell and put on the mm-hmm. you know what if helmet. Yeah. Typical type of thing, you know what I mean? This sure. is not unheard of. Yeah. That's what that's what <laughs> so technically it wasn't an imaginary story, but it didn't happen, but he had this whole life where he married uh Lila Lerrell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah, like we said, the uh, creative team here, this is uh a little bit of a wedding of the uh, appetite for Watchmen coming up the following year. Yep. Um, and then We're going to so... talk about one that uh, that I have a love hate. <laughs> yes, I have a love hate relationship with this issue because the issue itself is fantastic. The uh, the uh, <laughs> the center of the issue is kind of not. Yep. This is uh, Tales of the Teen Titans number fifty. It's February uh, of 85. It's called We Are Gathered Here Today. This is another Marv and George joint. Sure. And uh, this is the wedding of Donna Troy and... Terry Long. (sighs) Terry Long. Old curly-haired beardy himself. (laughs) Old Professor Creepy himself. The worst. That's like your nemesis. Is that you think that's your comic book nemesis, right? I think it might be. He's like you can't handle him when he's in. He's my Newman, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Terry, hello, Terry. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is also my father's name, so that's kind of weird. Oh, but uh, that might be part of it. Mm. But uh, no, this was a great issue. I don't know. No, no curly <laughs> hair. No curly hair. Um, now he. Uh, this issue is just—it's a wonderful issue, and there's like a—it's one of the few weddings that doesn't get interrupted. Yeah, it's a wedding. It's just a wedding. That's... It's a celebration of just Titans history. Yep. Um, Titans fandom, even uh, as we just learned, uh, one of our friends was invited to uh, this wedding. That's a right. man by the name of Rob Liefeld. Yeah, and he would have been drawn in if he had gotten his uh, his, <laughs> uh, got his driver's license to uh, George Perez in time. <laughs> But yeah, he's he's in the guest registry. You can see his name right there. He was a huge Teen Titans fan, uh, along with a bunch of other winners too. There are just a bunch of names that don't strike me as familiar, but there are no. there are uh, other uh, you know people who are into this, and it's it really is nice. It's really all about the great dialogue. Well, I mean, absolutely, just the characterization and no, no, no slouch on the art. The art is always on of course. Point. And George Perez, master of the crowd scene. This is like him in, yes. in his element to some extent. Just like, oh, I get to draw Perez a wedding. Porn, yeah. No problem. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you see everybody at this. And they're good, nice, big, generous pages to show you that kind of thing. But because um, yeah, I'm pretty sure George and Marv are even in the crowd. Oh yeah, actually, when I'm thinking about it now, I didn't, again, I didn't look at this either. This is this is the kind of job I do. I don't even. <laughs> prepare with the handful of comics that we talk about but yeah i'm almost positive that is true that they they have them yep. standing in the crowd at one time uh they had fun with this and but it would really like you said the characterization and the moments the character moments are key to the whole thing and it, it just shows yeah. them uh i mean i don't think you could have a comic like this right anymore you know i don't no. think i don't think they would risk having a comic with no real you know action aka punching yeah, unless, uh, <laughs> yeah. Unless it was a like a publicity stunt type of thing, like they did in Astonishing X Men a few years ago. Oh yeah. Where well, they where they where they were trying to race DC to have the first same sex marriage, did her they? first same sex wedding. Oh, so they so... kind of threw characterization out, just hooked a couple of guys up and did it. Yeah. So it was uh, yeah, you mean, know, I, with that that'll that's sell. Just, that's a different story altogether. Yeah, yeah but I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that seems like a real chitsy way. What about the one? What about Robin Re- Requiem? That was Ro- Batman and Robin the Silent Issue. Do you remember that one? Uh, I do remember eighteen. Yeah. That not, that doesn't really have any fighty fight, I think. No, it doesn't. Uh, but it but it was it was just so it was predicated on everything that came before it. It was kind of a it was almost like a must read if you were a Batman fan. That's very true. Yeah, it was it this you know this issue. I would say you could read it as a standalone. You might you I don't why you often do. I yeah. don't well for you it's not a problem. You've read all the preceding, <laughs> but I, but I would say that I don't think you'd be lost as long as you as long as you. Just accepted the premise of what the Teen Titans are, a collection yeah. of, you know, young heroes and these are their powers and whatever. Uh, I'm not sure. It's it's something we, we've said before. It's something we'll never be as the brand new comic reader. So I no, don't know true. how someone would, would react to this, but it's just nice. It's just a nice story yeah. to read. It's worth checking out. Uh, yeah, like if you read, like if you do read, as a, they're all available in trade now, if you do read the yeah. lead up to this. As much as I hate Terry Law, and I always will hate Terry Law, <laughs> uh, the, and, and as unnatural as I feel their union is, it, it happened very organically. Uh, you know, we have, we don't meet Terry as Donna meets Terry. We, yeah. we meet Terry as the guy Donna has been seeing. So it's like, you don't know how long they've been together, so it's kind of not out of nowhere. And uh, he's always around, and we actually see him, them get engaged. Yep. It was during the uh, Judas contract, or during the lead-up to the Judas contract. So it all it, it wasn't just a, hey, I met this guy, two issues later, we're married. Uh, they, was even actually, their engagement was fairly long. It was we a went, year, yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, we went through uh, who was Donna Troy and a whole bunch of, mm-hmm. whole bunch of issues yeah, until this. Mm-hmm. So it did. It, felt, it feels organic. It feels yeah. realistic as far as, like, uh, I mean, now it, it seems to go two ways. Either they... A, 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 Couple is together and nothing ever happens forever, yeah. or they go from you know meeting to marriage in, in three issues. That's like they with two ways they do it. So this and, really this really felt good. And you know I guess you don't get the kind of room to tell those stories like you used to. Not anymore. Yeah. No. And and outside of like maybe Reed and Sue and uh, God, who else? I mean, Reed and Sue were like it, right? Uh, I mean, maybe Ant Man and Wasp. I would put that in there. I mean, I would put in uh, uh, Ralph and Sue Dibney also, you know, maybe more on a personal level. People always, DC fans always throw out uh, Buddy Baker and his wife 
I don't. That, that was very well done, but I mean, it's, that... I, I, I have no problems with it, and yeah, they they use it to good effect in the handful of times animal, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Which which could be said somewhat for you know Ralph Dibney too, but it's it's rare. It is rare. We didn't know uh, we didn't know Animal Man as a single man. No, exactly. Know? That's true. Yeah, this we is did actually not see a, them like come a change. Together. Yeah, and it and the way it worked out was just. Uh, not a whole lot changed with Donna's participation in the in the team. You know, she didn't immediately retire. No, it's true. You know, it's a like lot she was still with around. her as a character, but uh, yeah, <laughs> she was still around <laughs> in, in different that's a, that's forms. A comic history in and of itself. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think we did that. We did who was we did Donna some of Troy, it. Yes. So yeah, we talked a little bit about that a long time ago. But yeah, just a just a wonderful issue. Um, of course, one I did not discover at five years old, so uh, one that I did go back to read and uh, did you read in order it. though? Hmm? Did you had you read? No, I, I I'm probably read this issue. This, you know, this might be one of the first issues of that era that I read. Really? So yeah, I mean, I read Judas Contract, of course. Okay. And uh, maybe I I might have read Who Is Donna Troy because I mean this is going back you know ten fifteen years, but. Uh, but yeah, this I'm sure I read this before I read any of the Trigon stuff. Huh. And and I'm sure I read this before, you know, A Day in the Life and all that stuff. So this is probably up there towards the the beginning of my Titans readership and I I enjoyed it enough to to keep going. Definitely. And now, and then you mentioned a couple other issues that have the same kind of tenor, you know, A Day in the Life and <laughs> uh Who is Donna Troy where it's there's yep. just no real Who is Donna Troy does have a little bit of a Robin action in there, you know what I mean? A little bit of punch. yeah. He's when he's yelling at the uh, when he's yelling at the prisoner. Yeah, you and, know. But uh, he's only in costume like on two pages. It's which true. I that's one thing I don't think you can get away with now. No, they wouldn't allow that. You know, they got no. they got to have they got to show the uh, money shot and whatever. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I can't. I'm thinking at, in DC, you'd, you'd never see guys in civilian clothes. They're so rarely. No, not uh, anymore. I was actually. <laughs> I think I'm going to mention it on the very episode we're talking about. But you know that I. In the uh, recent issue of uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, uh, oh no, it is no. I'm reading an old Justice League. That's what it was. And I, what it was is that Cyborg got sucked into like Green Lantern world, but because he wasn't real, he was a human, and he was wearing like a jacket and jeans. And uh, yeah, that's all. I, I, I ran <laughs> I ran off track there a little bit, but that's uh, to see okay. that to see that I definitely was just like it's a novelty. I don't expect that to see a superhero in like street clothes. No, not uh, anymore. <laughs> another big, another big event over in uh, over at Marvel this year was the death of Gene DeWolf. This yes. happened in Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, started in issue number one hundred seven through issue one ten, October nineteen eighty five to January eighty six. But the the last issue obviously would have come out in an eighty five. October November, yeah. something like that. Yeah, uh, this was written by Peter David, your homeboy, and art by yes. Rich Buckler. Also, somebody you're not you don't have any problems with, and uh, yeah. one thing I noticed about it was Spidey's got the black symbiote suit. This is hands down my favorite Spider-Man story of all time. Is that right? Really? Yes. This is a phenomenal story. This is the the closest thing I can compare it to is is Watchmen. Oh. And I mean that sound it might sound like you know I'm, I'm you know going nuts here, but uh, it's it's a murder mystery. It's uh just so good and it's uh and it was thrown in spectacular spider-man by with peter david who who never got a real good shot on amazing spider-man yeah. which i hate that he should have he should have had a nice long run on the flagship title but uh this one here is uh it's dark it's moody but not too not to the extreme that we're we're used to when we think of you know grim and gritty yeah this is uh this is an amazing story where where Spider-Man's friend, Gene DeWolf, who is a detective, uh, is murdered. She's murdered in her sleep. And it's just, it, it's a whodunit to start with. And it uh, turns out that it was another officer. Spoiler alert. Mm. Um, do we want to keep that in there? Well, that's it. I'm not, I'm not reading this neither. I think, we can, I think we can spoil a book from 1985, okay. yeah. There was a, it's, it's a fella who calls himself the Sin Eater. And it's taken from a... The like the old myth of when a person dies, they put fruit on their chest, uh-huh. and then uh, a guy called the Sin Eater comes by and he eats the fruit. 
which takes all the sin before they can go to whatever afterlife they believe in. Okay. And, is that, uh, so what is that? Is that Southern Baptist? Is that what that? I'm not sure. What, I it don't might know. be. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I, I think it might be Native American, but I'm not it sure. It sounds like it. Yeah. This doesn't. Yeah. Sound, this doesn't sound like any of our Judeo Christian, no. <laughs> Judeo Christian <laughs> traditions. But what do I know? Very little and about it. it. And in this story, uh, Daredevil plays a big part, and he finds out that that Peter is Spider-Man by uh, by his heartbeat. Wow! And yeah, and when it finally comes out that who who was the one who killed uh, Gene DeWolf, Spider-Man loses his mind and nearly beats the man to death. He wow. just pummels him, beats the hell out of him, leaves him crippled. Wow! And. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, this is very heavy. And Daredevil pulls him off of him, so Spider-Man beats the hell out of Daredevil. Wow! I mean, it's just amazing. He goes psycho it, over here. Spidey he sense is that part of the? Is that kind of how the symbiote symbiote suit is taking over? Or is no, that, no, this has nothing to do with that. Doesn't even play uh, into that. I don't yeah. think they even knew where that was going just yet. No, probably. I mean, it's but, brand new. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, this. Uh, I mean, there was just it, it, it built very naturally because there was a part where the Sin Eater fired a shot at Spider-Man and he dodged it and it hit and killed someone else. So mm. the the shot that Spider-Man dodged killed someone. He inadvertently so he, contributed to someone's death. To someone's yeah. death, yeah. And uh, so it was just all this was building. It, it's also it also almost feels like Born Again. I mean, where it is, you feel that you know that that tightness in your chest where it's like, oh, this keeps coming. Oh, it, it can't get any worse. Oh, wait, it did. Wow. <laughs> I I, and, I I think I must have isn't isn't this comic the spectacular Spider-Man isn't this the one that they made for McFarlane originally or am I no that's that's adjectiveless Spider-Man oh okay uh, this that'll is... come out in ninety one oh god way later on again yeah. again I have my timeline way off yes. there obviously because I don't even think Todd has been on Incredible Hulk at this point yet oh man yes yeah, he, he does that with Peter David um, let me tell you folks but... when you get old it all seems to run together that's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it is very true. But uh, no, it's it's just such a great story. I would I, I recommend. I, but it to I, feel like, I feel like I must have read it. But like I say, like you know, again, I was reading almost every comic my, my brother sure. got. If I could get my greasy hands on him at some point, he made that a lot more difficult. But that's a whole other. <laughs> at this point, yeah. we were still sharing them to some extent. So uh, I would read them. I would I would bet I read this because he definitely did get Spider Man. Although I can't guarantee sure. it was this one, but I, I just don't remember it. But it sounds. Fascinating, and I do uh, I do like to get some Spider-Man trades, although that's like a dangerous road to go down. It's like trying to get every Batman trade. Yeah, that's, that's you know you, that's, you'll be doing that till you know, you'll you'll have your great grandkids still I mean, working on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, literally, you know, I mean, forget it. I mean, the, <laughs> the comics are just one thing, but the trades are even like more cumbersome because they will collect. Like for example, if you're collecting every detective, well, then you might you might justify not getting Shadow of the Bat, but if you're getting yes. Every trade, you're going to get everything. So, everything. Uh, and even some things that aren't so great. But yes. Chris, Chris <laughs> knows all about that too. So that's no nothing, no shame in the game. Absolutely. But yeah, definitely check out the Death of Gene DeWolf. It was just reprinted as I, I don't know if they're exactly called Masterwork. They're like the Marvel premieres. I think they're it's, called. Is it Epic? You're talking about? Oh no, I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, like the hard. They're hard covers yep. with like the top half is foil. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the the type yeah. is foil. It's often yeah. like just like a cutout of the cover. I actually, don't don't love the design, but that's you know. Neither here no, the there. design is kind of lame, but it's uh, <laughs> what's inside is very very good. Yeah, I've definitely got a yeah, I've got a couple of things, including I think I have uh, the original Guardians of the Galaxy in a collection like that. I think I have that too. By Arnold yeah. Drake and Colin, and I've also got I think a couple of X Men like that. So yeah, it's it's a, it's <laughs> a weird, it's a weird bunch of books. But anyway, it is. <laughs> And uh, the probably the last thing we're going to talk about today is the trial of Magneto. Yeah, this happened in Uncanny X Men number two hundred, December uh, December of eighty five, written by Chris Claremont, art by John Romita Jr. This is a double sized milestone issue, which uh, with a cover price of one dollar twenty five. The normal uh, price at the time was about sixty five cents. Yeah, double the size, double the price. Why not? Why not? And yeah. I, I, I got to wonder if it's true double size or if they just added another couple of sheets but yeah and a lot more ads you know something <laughs> yes. like that I, I i i remember this more than uh death of gene dewolf although I, i'm mm. also gonna say i don't remember it that well well this was uh basically uh magneto was coming up on charges for everything he had done since 1963 
Wow. <laughs> yes. But uh, this was also, uh, you know, Claremont taking an interest in uh, softening Magneto. Is this the holocaust, the one where he talks about his holocaust uh, past? I'm sure it's mentioned in here, yeah. but uh, I, it, it isn't fully fleshed out. I think it's just a, you know, hey, this guy might have some other problems that we don't know about just yet. Um, before going too deep, this also features, we, we've been talking about Alan Moore. This features an Alan Moore character. It's a, a guy by the name of James Jaspers. Wow. Who is a... Uh, He's like a politician of sorts, but he was responsible for unleashing a creature called the Fury on Captain Britain back in the Captain Britain stories. Okay. Which, if you haven't read those, those are they—they they, he actually made this character the Fury scary. I, I've and, heard. Uh, I've heard that's a phenomenal run. That the, the, yes. uh, that Captain Britain. I, I cannot. The, the Morn Davis to it, but it's one of those things I would like to yeah definitely it's, get to that. Yes, and it's it's definitely worth it. It's it's awesome stuff. Alan Davis art in there is fantastic as well. That's also where they 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 actually go past the tombstone that says Marvel Man. Oh yeah, so wow. That's, that's part of that. <laughs> because right. actually, this year is when uh, in 1985 is when Warrior seized publication. Hmm. So uh, you know, so Alan Moore's V for Vendetta and Marvel Man and all that stuff had to be sent out to be finished somewhere else, and we know where they went. That's right. Um, <laughs> but this. Uh, this it featured James Jaspers because Claremont was going to bring the Fury into the mainstream Marvel universe, and that all fell through because even back then, Alan Moore had some rights things going on, and it uh, facilitated the creation of the character known as Nimrod, which is a future Sentinel. And right. uh, we won't go too deep into that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it's starting to get biblical over here. It it does, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do I, I do know my X-Men, even though I know not, not a lot of people give a crap. <laughs> you got to flex but, it. Uh, yeah. What else are you going to use it? This is your time, my friend. I know, this you is know, it, This right? is your moment in the sun. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the whole thing is, uh, you know, the X-Men want Magneto to have a fair trial, even right. though he is their sworn enemy. And uh, this, is where, this is where it starts. The seeds start coming in that Magneto is going to soften. And... Uh, you know we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have some big changes coming up. The issue after this, which technically is dated 1986, features the first appearance of the the baby who would become Cable. Huh. Uh, that's Uncanny X-Men 201. It's where Storm and Cyclops fight each other for leadership of the X-Men, and uh, Storm beats him without having any powers because her powers are nullified at the time. Uh, it's a tough issue to but come across. But she still beats Cyclops because he's, she still beats Cyclops. He's, he's milk toast. Let's face it. Yeah, you and, know, and she put up a, a mirror. She was like, "All right, here's a mirror. <laughs> there, there, you're nullified, yes. buddy." And he, uh, he was also, you know, he was new, a new husband, a new father, so he, he was torn. Yeah. And uh, this is where you first see baby Nathan, who we learn later it becomes Cable. But uh, this was a a real nice time of change for the X Men. You know, uh, Professor X gets shunted off because I well, don't think Magneto Claremont like joins the X Men sort of here. He, doesn't he leads he? the school. Yeah. He becomes the headmaster of the school, and he takes over mentoring the new mutants. Which uh, you know, it you know, I, I'll slag Claremont for a lot of his melodrama and some of his out of date speech, but. Uh, in his writing, I mean, I'm I'm sure he's a lovely gentleman in person. Yeah. But uh, yeah, exactly. A lot. Of, yeah, a lot. Of, I, I'm not saying he's he's you know yeah, he's shouting racial yeah. epithets. <laughs> but uh, he uh, it was it was great just seeing how the uh, you know the X Men and the New Mutants had to adapt to accepting Magneto. Yeah. As their leader, and uh, uh, an excellent time in X Men. One of the Last real good times, and uh, you know, in my opinion, it, it last good times in X Men until the you know schlocky '90s stuff that I love. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, that you really that you really went yes. in for, but uh, yeah, like I say, I remember obviously a little bit of it. I, I couldn't claim that I definitely read this. Think about it that time. So I was ten at this mm. time. Uh, X Men could be a little dense for me. You it know is. What I mean? uh, to be honest, yes. even Teen Titans at the time could be a little dense for me. It was uh, just I was a kid, you know. I wanted to see uh, Spider Man more than you know punching somebody out. Yeah. So uh, I I don't I'm not positive, but I do I have definitely either read it or I know enough about it that this was a big deal at the time, a big change in the X Men, but probably not as big as the changes on the horizon. 
yes. uh, that we've already alluded to. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I think that pretty much takes us to the end of uh, comics in 1985. Other things certainly happened, but we're not going to sure. mention them. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this. If you did, please let us know. Or if you didn't, let us don't you know, don't <laughs> let us know. Yeah, um, keep it to yourself. You can find me on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. And uh, next week we do have Cave Carson, and the week after that is Mother Panic. So we will be back to our usual comic. Hey, they're shipping things. books again. Exactly, they're back to a Doom, Pat- <laughs> Doom Patrol number four got or whatever issue. I think I think it is four, right? That's the twenty eighth. Uh, it, it got no. It got re- resolicited to early January. Oh, so who knows, folks? We we're, we're, we're <laughs> we are as much a subject to the whims and wills of uh, DC and Young Animal as as anybody else. So we yes. will take them as they come. But uh, hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, until next time, keep it young and animalistic. See you.